Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Oh, we How are. About them, yeah! <laughs> oh, that is absolutely not the way that we look to start a show generally. Uh, I apologize to all our Bay Area contingent, but uh, sure, what do we got? Uh, Dak Prescott on the payroll for $97 million a year? <laughs> Good luck with that. We'll see how that works out, sir. But it's been a minute, uh, and we're back. We're back on the air with a little uh, a good show on tap, a little COVID for everybody. Um, obviously, this past year uh, has been a little nuts for, for everybody, not just us, and uh, hence the delay in shows. But as we start to return to some semblance of normalcy here, uh, we decided we'd get a little show in. So what say you, sir? How's everything on your end of things? Everything is good. Everything is good. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea to break the uh, COVID monotony um, and give an update as far as what's been going on with us the last couple of months because um, there's been a few things going on that I think people would want to hear. So here we are. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, buckle up, folks. We're going to fill you guys in. We should have a good show in store for you all. Uh, But as per usual, uh, some things don't change after COVID, and that is definitely we are going to hit you all with some sports on the front of the episode. Lovely. So we just had our first official week of NFL free agency, and we are about four weeks out from the draft. Uh, Anything to report on the free agency front for any of your New York teams or your Dallas team? Well, for the New York Jets and the Dallas Cowboys, 
it's been nothing but just Tom, Dick, and Harry's. Uh, it's just signing, you know, people I've never heard of. Um, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. They, these, you know, might be good role players and good fillers and whatnot. Um, but as per usual in the Cowboys case, it, there's been no big name folks. Um, and the Jets, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. I think the biggest mistake the Jets made is by winning any games last year because at least they would have been in line to get the best quarterback in the draft. Now, after number one, it's a crapshoot, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, what do you feel about the Jets' hire, their their new head coach? Eh, um, I'm not going to poo-poo it. Um, because, you know, sometimes you get a no-name guy. Um, he obviously not a no-name guy in these parts. but um, you Absolutely know, not. Uh, you know, east of the Mississippi River, it's like, what? Who? Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you never know who's going to be that guy, who's going to be that coach. Everybody starts, you know what I'm saying? Nobody, very few walk in as who they eventually became known as. So, um, that's true. I I just want them to give somebody five years and, and I'm, and and at the least, I'm glad it's a a defensive coach. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, and, and you'd be able to fill us in on this, um, because I, other than Adam Gase, haven't really kept up on Jets head coach signings, but I know their last really big-time defensive coach was, of course, uh, wow, I, I had his name, and it just – Rex Ryan, right? And um, and he got them to the AFC Championship game. I think Mark Sanchez was their quarterback, but they got yep. there on the back of their defense, obviously. Uh, and Robert Sala, like you said, Defense first, big-time defensive coach, ties to Seattle in that system, went over to Atlanta when Seattle's um, assistant coach or or defensive coordinator at the time went over there to become the head coach. So that's the system he brings. Um, Have they hired a big-time defensive coach between Rex Ryan and and Sala here? They hired a very good defensive coach. As a matter of fact, he's the Super Bowl-winning defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who they fired to, to hire Adam Gase, who was a failed. Because remember, Todd Bowles came came over from Arizona, I believe, working with Bruce Arians. Okay. Yep. Yep. Was a successful defensive coordinator and got hired for the Jets' head coaching job. Now, mind you, during the first couple of years that he was, I think he, he three years, and then they fired him. But uh, the team offensively was terrible, but defensively they started to restock their cupboards. And and in his third and final year, he finally got that defense where he wanted it, and of course, then he gets fired. But he had no quarterback, no offense, no offense, you know, nothing, basically. So yeah. they said, okay, well, we need we now we need an offensive guy. So they bring Adam Gase in, mind you, who was a failed head coach at at uh, Miami. Didn't earn this opportunity, especially in this market, the New York Jet market, and and he's now a two-time failed head coach. 
Okay. Yeah, I doubt he'll get another head coaching gig in the NFL unless he goes to be a coordinator somewhere for an extended period of time and shows great success. Right, rehabilitates himself. But yeah. um so hopefully uh this guy um Sala forever to be known as Salad. Um Robert Salad. Yeah. Um rebuilds or you know and re enhances if that's a word the defense and we'll see if we can Listen, I think it's you, it's impossible to judge Sam Darnold when he's running for his life and whatnot. It's impossible to judge him. He ranked very high on the top of many lists when he was drafted. One of the they said he was walking in ahead of everybody else that drafted top you know top quarterbacks drafted. He was the most pro ready, and he's shown flashes, but it's hard to show flashes when you're on your back. Yeah. Yeah, particularly as a quarterback, um, we've all seen. Now, who's to say with great blocking and a great system um, how many busts, quote-unquote, we would have in our league, uh, you know, that that still would have panned out to be busts uh, given a different situation. But we, but we certainly know that no matter how great a college quarterback is or how NFL ready a quarterback is, if you can't give them a line or weapons, um, it's not going to work. So. Yeah. Well, what do these guys who come in and get and have reasonable success immediately, what do they have? Good, good to great defenses and good to great running games. Yeah. Or, or if that's not it. So if that's not it, you at least have to have a good defense. I'll give you a perfect example. The Dallas Cowboys, when Dak Prescott came in for Tony Romo, they had a good defense, not a great defense, nowhere near a great defense, just a above average, right? One percentage point above average defense. But they had a great offensive line and a great running game. Yep. You know what I'm yep. saying? So, it's a quarterback's best friend. Yeah. So, so Okay. Well, yeah, uh, on the Niners front, um, not real, nothing too splashy as far as going out of house is concerned. They, they re-signed um, some of their own uh, who became free agents, which were their big splash moves, re-signing their fullback, their left tackle, um, you know, so n- nothing real splashy, but, but doing what they can to keep their own. The, the big news is all the stuff, you know, with, Originally, right, so Deshaun Watson saying he wants to go to the Niners or the Broncos, and the Niners are his top destination, and he has a no-trade clause, and the GM over there playing hardball. Well, I'll tell you what, that GM, I was going to say, the GM over there in Houston might have played hardball at the wrong time, because now with all these allegations coming out, uh, he may not be able to trade him even if he wanted to. And with Deshaun saying he was planning on holding out and sitting out, uh, that GM over there might have cost himself some 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 equity. So uh, we'll see what happens with this. But, boy, I've heard just uh, last night I got a banner to one of my sports apps saying, on file, there have been 13 now, 13 lawsuits filed um, against this man. So... Uh, who knows how that'll turn out, but I, I can't imagine that has a very rosy ending 
Uh, so, boy, oh boy. So, 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 what we have to pay attention to, um, as far as his the NFL impact, is going to be an NFL impact because of these civil lawsuits, regardless if it's, uh, regardless if all thirteen are legitimate or if one is legitimate, and all and the other twelve are frivolous. But it, I'm curious to see if any criminal cases come out of these civil allegations. Yeah, yeah, because all civil so far, right? All 13 yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, so we shall see. Uh, we, we shall I, see. We, at some point we're going to find out, is this guy just a victim of, you know, overzealous um, accusations? And I, when I say overzealous, I mean he's not entirely innocent of everything that's being alleged, but he's not entirely guilty of all that's being alleged either. But right. at the same time, or, or are we going to find out that this guy's a creep? Right. Exactly. Well, I will say, you know, and, and who knows, we have to wait for the details to come out, obviously. Um, but it sounds like before this ever went public, uh, the attorney approached him for a settlement before any of these tweets, before any of these allegations, for a six-figure settlement. Like, if we settle now, we can keep this quiet and nobody ever knows, which strikes a, a funny chord with me because, A, it's not in the best interest of, of the victims, assuming that there are victims and that their stories are legitimate and this actually happened. It's not in their best interest for this to be quiet. Um, that that kind of that kind of um, suppresses the, the the victim's voice a little bit. Um, you'd imagine that the victims would want this to be public domain so that there are no further victims. So the idea of being willing to take a lump sum of cash. To keep it quiet, to me, speaks to um, uh, just something kind of funny funny happening there because I wouldn't imagine a victim would want this to be quiet and uh, for, for an attorney to seek money, not get it, and then all of a sudden start going public with it feels, uh, not that it didn't happen, but, but it just gives a kind of a dirty feeling to the whole situation. Feels slimy. <laughs> yeah. All right, exactly. So... We'll see. We'll see um, um, what transpires. I my hope is just that justice is done one way or the other. If he's guilty, then I hope he gets everything that's coming to him. Um, and if he's not guilty, then I hope his name can be, you know, he's exonerated and, and his name can be, uh, you know, cleaned up, and that this doesn't this doesn't follow him because in the the political climate. Um, you know, is generally geared toward you're you're guilty until proven innocent, so to speak. Uh, when something like this hits the hits the public, the sound, well, the public forum. Well, let me let me add another element into that. Some will say, and and I, I don't necessarily disagree that sometimes it depends on who it is, because look at all the allegations that are being made against Governor. Uh, Governor um, Nursing Home in New York. Yeah, right, and, right, right. And um, I was telling my wife, so every time a new allegation or a new uh, victim comes forward, I always ask her, so, so what's being alleged? And I'm, I'm like I'm waiting for the um, 
the what do you, what do you call it when the big one really hits? It's like no, you know, you can't get around this one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. he, yeah. you know, he. This was an assault, and you know, you know, versus, you know, uh, someone, you know, verbally saying things and being, you know, touchy, you know, feely, huggy, you know, where it could be, you know, it's hard to pin it down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so, yep. so he he gave an Arnold Schwarzenegger apology. I don't know if you remember when when Schwarzenegger was running for governor of California, and some allegations came out against him. And he and this is probably where Trump got it from. And he said, uh, "Yeah, uh, you know, I, I apologize." And it was kind of locker room talk, you know, and you know we just was getting too loose and so on and so forth. But I apologize right. if I offended anyone. So he gave a similar type thing, you know, hey, I apologize if I got kind of loose, you know, I'm a hugger, you know, type thing and so on and so forth. And I said to Linda, I said, this is how he's going to get over. This is how they get over. It's, you know, unless someone comes with a, you know, like a cold heart, like he raped me, um, he groped me, you know, he, he touched my private, you know, things like that versus, you know, you know, he put his arm around me and I didn't want him to. Um, he kissed me right. on the cheek when he was saying hello and I felt uncomfortable, you know, those are un- inappropriate, of course. Right. Especially if someone doesn't like that. Um, but it's hard to pin him down with stuff like that. Right. So right. I said, he's just gonna, you know, and then for other political reasons, you know, said he may, you know, get over, you know, he may not be able to run for president because maybe that's why they're doing it to him, you know, to stop him. But, now, pose that to uh, black athletes who may not get that same benefit of the doubt. And even now, you don't even have to say just black athletes, just athletes don't even get the benefit of the doubt anymore. It's almost a case of once the allegation is made, whether it's one, whether it's 13, it's very hard to get your name back, to get your uh, integrity back um, once, once you're exonerated. I mean, look at Ezekiel Elliott. He was investigated by two law enforcement entities in two different states. Both of them came to the same conclusion. There was nothing here. None of that occurred. No charges. Case dropped. We're moving on. But the NFL saw, well, you know, we believe her. Right. And they can say that if they want, but then what does that do to – Ezekiel Elliott, they suspend him for six games. So in in the eyes of the public, for those who are just casual observers, it's like, oh, he must have done that. He's guilty of that. They suspect, Why would they suspend him if it wasn't true? And it wasn't true. And, and everyone, right. including the NFL investigators, uh, admitted that. So why was this guy suspended and his name, you know, semi-ruined at the time? So we'll see what happens. But bottom we'll line, see, yeah. you know, if you're a creep and it's proven that you're a creep, then you should get what creeps have coming to them. Yeah, you got you got to you got to get what's coming to you. Uh, I, I totally agree. So yeah, we'll we'll see as it unfolds. But it's um, it's becoming a pretty big, a pretty big story to say the least. Um, so why don't we move on and. Next little segment should segue beautifully into the topic of the show, but we've got some news to share with everybody. 
can just briefly speak to San Mateo County, as that is the county that our program is located in and does business out of. Uh, We have successfully transitioned into the orange tier, I want to say. So that is, you know, you've got the, I believe you've got the red tier and then maybe the, the purple tier and then the orange. And then the last one is yellow. So we're right next to our, our last little transition uh, back into some normalcy uh, of society here. Um, and so uh, that's where San Mateo County sits. I know some of the surrounding counties are still the tier below orange, but are, it looks like they're headed in the way of transitioning to the orange tier uh, vaccines are uh, becoming more and more widely available to more groups. Uh, and so that is where we sit in the COVID, uh, the COVID realm. What about your brethren in New York, sir? Where, where are they at? They are still under communist lockdown. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting tidbit, because my sister lives on Long Island. And she says they've never been on lockdown. As a matter of fact, they've all they've been because every now and then she'll send a text and saying her and her husband are you know at a restaurant and I'm like is all eating outside and they're like no we're eating inside we've always eaten inside we they've never stopped having the ability for the restaurants to eat inside. The only thing that has occurred is that the um, quantity of people allowed in was decreased. So I guess 50%, whatever it was, um, occupancy, but they, they never had a, a time where it was no, no dining inside. Um, so they don't know what that's like. Cause I'm like, you know, wow, we're, we're, we're just, we're just now starting where the restaurants can crack their doors open. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> to, to, to let outside air in, uh, much less, uh, let people inside. So we got to, even though we're, would you say we're, we're an orange now? Yes, sir. Orange tier. Yeah. And, but, and so, so I think that's like here. Go ahead. restaurants allowed to, restaurants allowed to operate at 50% capacity versus the tier before uh, that I believe was 25%. And I think that goes for a lot of indoor retail and gyms as well. But you know, we're still on pins and needles because all it takes is one more person going into the hospital and we're back to hot sauce, hot sauce. Red. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Shut it down. I hear you. I hear yeah. you on that. So we'll, see um, we'll, we'll see how long it lasts, but at least the, the trend is currently headed in the right direction. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that trend continues. Um, but that's all I got for inside the news. Anything else for you? Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, the news that dropped last Wednesday um, with uh, the only detox program in the county being, uh, let's use the word, temporarily shut down by the state of California. Um, unfairly, we all believe, rudely, we all believe. Um, not sure how else to put it, but their license was revoked. They are appealing it, and I think we can now say with certainty that the reason that the license was revoked is because they had a, a death occur 
in the detox program sometime in the fall. And I guess the investigation just ended, and they concluded that what, whatever level of responsibility that they put on the program for whatever occurred, not necessarily the death, but maybe whatever the circumstances around it, po- after it, who knows, but they thought it was worthy and rose to a level that they would pull their license. If you ask me, upon investigation, they concluded that someone did in fact die, right. and uh, someone has to be held accountable. So right. that's sometimes, unfortunately, with the the way the legal system works and, and the the um, the climate of lawsuit happy nature, uh, somebody has to be left holding the bag. So at least that's what it looks like on its face. Yeah, and uh, the argument that we make is that if whatever transpired was so worthy of the program being closed, you know, the state has the authority, if something occurs which they feel is so so imminently, imminently puts the clients at a safety risk that they can temporarily shut you down and then you fight it after the fact. I mean, shut you right. down right on the spot not investigate for five months and then come to a decision and say, okay, okay, we're going to close you. Right. Um, that just, that just doesn't make any sense to us. So, so we're left now in the, in our County without a detox program. And so, you know, we have to, and not just when I say we, I mean, all of us, the, all the providers, especially the residential providers have to um, work with the County and figure out something in the meantime um, and other than the county hospital and the other private local hospitals, I'm not sure where else people will go. But and the hospital keeps you 48, 72 hours tops. You're not going to be hanging out, taking up a hospital bed for 10 days like you do in the detox program. Right. You know what I mean? You got your tan back. You got your you got your diet back. You're sleeping better. They're not having that. They're 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 going to make sure that you know. Okay, the risk is low of anything medically happening to you, um, and they might give you some um, start you on some medicated assisted treatment or something like that. But uh, they're booting you out of that hospital. Real quick. Real quick, quick turnaround. Yep. Yeah, here you go. Hit the road. Yep. So that's the latest in terms of uh, that. Okay. But we'll see what happens. It's a big deal. Yeah, I think I, I yeah. was doing a little research, and I had mentioned to you, and just so folks on the air know, the, the next closest detox to us here on the peninsula in San Mateo County is either in Oakland or in San Francisco. Uh, so it's not like we've got one, you know, a couple, a couple towns down in e- either direction. So that's, uh, and, and out of County, you know, out of County can get funny with the way Medi-Cal works. And just so our East coast brethren have an idea, especially up in the, the New York area. It's, it's like, like, uh, like Brooklyn to Queens. <laughs> yeah. Or Manhattan, Manhattan to Queens, you know, 30, 30, 40 minute, drive yep 
Yep. So, well, yeah, we'll 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 keep our listeners obviously up to date on however that ends up transpiring. But one thing we can say almost assuredly, right, is that it's it's not going to happen overnight uh, because going to fight the state on something, there's a lot of red tape that it has to cross before it's your case and your turn is heard. So uh, even if they have their license reinstated, um, you know, that could take several months, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, because first you file your appeal. And you have to, at some point, you know, they'll let you know that you've been put on the calendar for it to be heard because it, it goes to the administrative law division at the state. It doesn't, it doesn't, you're not appealing to that same department that issues and, and takes your license. Um, so it's like an independent entity in the state that does this. And yep. then so you get on their calendar and, you know, how long stuff like that can take. Who knows? Let's say it takes two months to get on their calendar. So then you have your hearing. And they don't issue a decision right then and there, right? And then so it could be 30 to 60 days, let's say 30, 45, 60 days before you get an answer. Um, So you add all that up, you're looking at anywhere from three to four months. It's the Recology Rollover 2.0 for for our friends uh, in San Mateo, huh? Yep. Well, uh, we will keep everybody abreast to the news as it all shakes out. Um, but beautiful segue anyway into the meat of our program that we've got for you guys. Uh, shall we get into the main topic of the day? Sure. Let's start with some um, a little bit of background. So obviously everyone knows we've been dealing with this uh, pandemic since uh, March 2020 is when it really got on the way for us, March 17th to be exact in our county when the shelter-in-place order was issued. And, you know, as things evolved, you know, we evolved. The one thing that we never did, we, we didn't stop taking in um, clients. and We're the only program that continued to take in clients along with the detox program. Um, and so, but as things evolved, we evolved in terms of what we were doing with our um, screenings and precautions and all of that stuff. And, you know, got to a point where the county asked us if we would use our former um, women's dorm area, women's wing, which then became our wellness wing, if we would use that area and create a quarantine wing, which we did. And so, everyone that was coming into residential treatment would first go into the quarantine wing for 14 days. And if everything remained good, then they would go into the main facility and uh, mix with everybody else. So that, you know, was kind of awkward, but we kind of got it down and got a good system going. And for about 11 and a half months at both of our uh residences, the residential facility and the recovery residence, um, with everything that we had in place, all the precautions, all the protocols, et cetera, et cetera, um, we were, we didn't have one case. And, you know, of course you had the staff coming and going, but, you know, after the shelter in place was lifted, you know, people resumed medical appointments, legal appointments, um, work, 
uh, things, job search, things of that nature. And so you still had some clients coming and going, and there were, you know, protocols that, that they had to follow and so on and so forth. But then came January, and I won't – we pretty much have a good idea of who – patient zero is or was and there was first a staff positive and then we got our first client positive and the interesting thing Mr. Producer is this is a client who was rotated over stepped down in care from residential to outpatient and was being rotated over to the recovery residence. And it was once they got to the recovery residence, after a couple of days, that they complained of symptoms. And that client was sent to Stanford to be tested and tested positive. And so that client then went from Stanford back to the residential facility where the quarantine, we got approval from the county for that client to go back to the residential facility to stay in the quarantine wing while we determined if that client, for the two days that they were in the recovery residence, that did they infect anybody else? And so if I recall, Mr. Producer, you quarantined the two roommates, and six other clients who he, this person may have possibly had a reasonable level of contact that would raise a concern. So we kind of were, we were very conservative. So we didn't, you know, if we thought that there was enough contact, we just said, okay, no, you're, you're in the quarantine group. So all in all, not including the patient zero for recovery residents, there were eight people in quarantine. And, That's correct. And then, so that what that then started the ball rolling is a serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, a serial testing schedule to find out if anybody else was infected. At that point in time, no one else was complaining of symptoms. At the residential facility, we started getting complaints of symptoms. These complaints started on that, the Martin Luther King holiday. They had a barbecue that day. And, you know, people were complaining, but they were blowing it off, meaning that the clients really weren't, they didn't say like, oh, wait a second now. You know, they kind of, you know how guys could be sometimes, you know, they got a little, you know, symptomatic something going on and they kind of just blow it off. So when they were being screened, you know, they, you know, do you have this, 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 they would say no. And so, but the symptoms started getting worse in more people. So we said, okay, we're going to have to get the whole facility tested, which we did. And at the residential facility, and every single person tested positive, except for one client. Um, Which, in a weird way, was a good thing. uh, Because it was much easier to manage everyone being positive, except for that one client, uh, who we'll talk about. Versus, you know, three here, three yes, four no, two yes over here, three, you know what I'm saying? So with everyone, the whole facility just became one quarantine facility. 
Um, so everyone was under the same quarantine protocols uh, for the same period of time. And, what's, and it was almost a reverse quarantine because that one client who was testing positive was now living in the quarantine wing while everybody else was in the main part of the facility. Yeah. So it kind of flipped, right? So this client at the first test tested negative. Three days later, I'm sorry, five days later, he was retested, tested negative again. Um, our doctor, Dr. O'Neill, said, well, he said, look, this guy's positive. There's, there's no way this guy, I would be shocked if this guy positive. Now, mind you, he already tested negative twice, six days apart. So the next test was scheduled on day 10. Um, and he came, and, he, and day eight and a half, day nine, he started complaining of symptoms. And mind you, this was our youngest client in the resident, resident. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Dr. Neal said, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but he eventually on the third test came up uh, positive. And, and here's the irony. So he comes up positive. Now he has to go. <laughs> this guy had to be flipped into the quarantine wing to protect him from everyone else that was positive because he was negative. Now, everybody else is on the tail end of their experience, and now they're, they're free, basically. <laughs> now he goes back into quarantine because he's now the only one testing positive. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, but you know what? He handled it like a champ. Great attitude and whatnot, which helps, believe it or not. It does. Um, and, and, and all of our guys had great attitudes, by the way, throughout this whole thing. But I will tell you something funny. They tested on a Friday, I want to say, Friday the 22nd. I think that's a, January, but I might be off by a few days. But um, before they went to test, yeah, Friday the 22nd. So they tested on Friday, and I had a you know, seminar with them to just allow them to talk, air any concerns they had, air their feelings. This was before they went to test. So this seminar was about 1 o'clock. They were going to test at about 2.45. And said, listen, whatever happens, we'll deal with it. Um, you know, you guys are young. Most of you guys are young and healthy. The ones got got anything secondary going on, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So they were great attitudes, gung-ho. said, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, we'll handle whatever it is. When they all came back positive, you know, uh, the site supervisor had to come in on Sunday and basically pull all these guys off the floor, you know, because when the reality hits, it's a totally different thing, right? Right, yeah. So, it's, well, yeah, one thing about talking about the hypotheticals, another right. for everyone to look at each other and like, oh, my God, we've all got it. <laughs> so she came in and did a great job refocusing them and getting, you know, and they were good after that. They were good, um, great attitudes, and um, and the symptoms quickly dissipated, you know. So, and, and the worst of it was probably those two to three days after Martin Luther King Day. So that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. By Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, most of them were symptom-free. Um, and so their period of time when they were going, they, they didn't have to be retested because they were positive, 
And so for that next 10 to 14 day period, they were spent most of that time just doing normal business because they had already, you know, they were symptom free by now. Right, right, right. So that was the experience at the residential facility. But we were still on pins and needles, as you are aware, Mr. Producer, because we were putting the recovery residents through the testing cycle. And, right. You know, and they all tested negative, including staff, on the first test. Uh, five, six days later, they got their second test. It's still on pins and needles. They all tested negative again. And then the third and final test, um, also negative. So, you know, that was a great testament to, you know, the folks, staff and clients at that facility, you know, staying true to the protocols that were in place to, to make sure that the gentleman that came over from the residential facility didn't infect anyone else. And the fact that even the roommates, because, you know, as contagious as this thing is, the fact oh, that the, the roommates, roommates didn't even get infected um, tells you that these guys were doing the best that they could in terms of all the protocols under the circumstances. Yes. I'll tell you, I was, I don't want to say shocked, but like I was, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised that everybody was negative. Like had I been a betting man, I would have bet the house that at least one, one of our clients, especially the roommates or the ones that interacted with him are going to be positive with, like you said, just how contagious this thing is. Um, the, you know, the idea that everybody was negative is still, I'm still, a little bit in disbelief about how how that came to be, but um, but yeah, certainly the second um, he complained of uh, a symptom, and we sent him off to the ER before we even heard the results. Um, we acted as if you know what he's positive. Uh, it's it's just a formality waiting to hear back from the ER. And immediately we pulled people out of group and started doing everything we decided to do. Um, and so, you know, reacting swiftly certainly helped, but um, I thought for sure we were going to get other positives. The idea that all staff and clients tested negative after that was uh, pretty, pretty surprising. Right. So we had to, you know, obviously during that time for both sides, everything is shut down. Uh, we had to shut down all admissions. Um, and, you know, it's like, uh, it, you know, it, it was almost like when we were sheltering in place. You know, no one's going anywhere. And the only people that were going anywhere were staff, obviously. But, uh, again, they, and the residents there, the recovery residents handled it, you know, great attitudes, handled it. Um, and you know, we say matter-of-factly they had great attitudes as if, like, they're going to all have great attitudes. That's not a given, especially today, in today's world, right? But the the difference it makes when the attitude is positive and, 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 and helpful and constructive for the family going through something like that versus it being the opposite 
you know, oh man, you know, this is, you know, messed up or, you know, I don't want to be here. This this house could get infected, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because, yeah. um, you know, fear, fear go over and fear can rule if you let yep. it. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the attitude makes a huge difference. Um, and not only to meet it with like, you know, not um, – not just a, a a non-resistant attitude, but an attitude of like positivity and being proactive where they immediately um, after they had gotten out of group before we had even spoken to them as a group uh, began each department grabbed a sanitizer and began sanitizing everything. And uh, just a, just a really right. Not like an attitude of indifference, like, okay, I'm not going to be difficult, but I'm not happy about this, but, a very proactive and positive attitude, um, you know, that's, that, that was major. That was major. Right. Right. Of course. Now what comes with all of this is the reporting out to all the powers that be. Um, and, you know, of course the, the, you know, the, the County was very supportive. Um, and, but I mean, you can speak to it, Mr. Producer. I mean, you know, not not just the incident report, but then the daily reporting that you were required to do by the um, emergency operations center. Um, it's like they were tracking a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they were basically. I was going to say they were tracking a a killer virus. Well, to them, they were tracking a killer virus, so they wanted to know every single day what was going on. Yeah. Uh, in that in that facility, both facilities. For how long That's was it right. for you? Was it was it fourteen days or thirty days? You had to report to them. We well, it would have been thirty days, but within the I think it was on day seventeen that the third round of serial testing had come back where everybody was negative, and that was good enough to uh, suffice for uh, you know the the reporting through day thirty. Yeah. Hmm. But otherwise, yeah, it, it would have been 30 days. So, so 17 days, right? 17 days of daily reporting, uh, and so 17 days of daily reporting and serial testing, uh, three rounds of it is is what it took. So, yeah, definitely yeah. pretty extreme. Right. So I've mentioned this to you numerous times over the years, Mr. Producer, that the gentleman, and I don't, I don't know if you were old enough in terms of paying attention to this when it was on the news. You were probably old enough, but not at an age where you were going to pay attention to it. But the guy who used to come on TV is a lieutenant at San Quentin Prison whenever there was a um, execution at the prison. He was the guy who came on TV, made the public aware about the execution, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't remember how I got in, how he and I got in touch with each other, um, but we did. And I, but I didn't know who he was at the time. I come to later find out that he was that guy. Um, and he told me something that to this day has – proven itself to be true and I can see why it's true and that is when they do a look back when something happens in a company 
an organization, a group, a team, whatever it is, okay, that and when that when that entity has you know policies and procedures, protocols and practices that they're supposed to live by and be guided by, he says when when something bad happens or when any when something happens that's not supposed to happen, they can ninety percent of the time he says overwhelmingly when they do a critical incident analysis, they can point to how somewhere along the line a policy, procedure, practice, or protocol was not followed. Right. And that and that's what just started the chain of events that led to the incident occurring. So I, as a as a manager, I've never forgotten that because it's always proven itself to be the case. Um, and and that's we haven't conducted our deep dive investigation yet because you know there are parties plural to this that are still in and out. You know everyone's not back a hundred percent and settled in and recovered from that experience, if you will, right? Right. So, um, but we will be doing a deep dive to find out, and I like to use the word, confirm my suspicions that, um, you know, patient zero um, became patient zero because of not following policy, procedure, practice, and protocol. Um, I always told the clients, dating all the way back to March of last year, that it's our ultimate responsibility to protect them because they're in a self-contained environment, and especially at that time when we were shelter in place. They weren't leaving. So if that virus was going to enter that facility, it was going to come from a staff person, one of us, not following our own, not only our personal practices and um, protocols, but the organizational policy procedures, practices, and protocols to ensure that when you show up to work, you know, you get screened, you answer the questions honestly, and that you're doing everything you can to not bring the virus into the self-contained environment. Right. And, you know, we did a very good job of that, but there was a lapse, which in the big picture, the lapse, the the falling off of, you know, the sticking to the, to the calls and the practices and the policies and the procedures – you know, just by human nature, when something goes on for a long period of time when you're doing extra policies, extra procedures, extra protocols, extra practices, you know, it's not possible to maintain them at full throttle for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve months. That's not possible. So there always has to be a period of reinvigoration to, you know, okay, we've fallen off, let's get back, okay? And you hope that you can do that before there's a consequence to falling off. Well, we miss, we, we, you know, we'd fallen off a little bit at the, at the residential facility and we suffered a consequence. Right, right. Um, and with some of the information that I have is what leads me to believe, you know, who patient zero is, and then how it actually happened. 
and then how it actually happened. And then a client getting infected was just just going to be inevitable. Yeah, matter of time. It's just inevitable. So, but this is just a hypothesis. Yeah. Hasn't been, yeah. Well, hasn't been proven out. Make sure, uh, make sure that it is testable, and uh, that you remain uh, as objective through the process of testing your own hypothesis as possible, so as to avoid confirmation bias. Right. Yep. Yep. But we we shall see. But everybody is well. Those right. who got sick, those who uh, have not gotten sick, and it appears like at, at, at the very least everybody is well. Right. So the residential facility had one, two, three, wait, one, two, three, four, four to five staff members that tested positive, had a decent amount of time, at least a week, if not longer, longer for some. Some were off for two, two and a half, three weeks, um, just just timing and whatnot. And, but everybody is back now and no lingering effects. That's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And, yeah, so... You know the facility is back to normal operations. We st- but the quarantine wing is still in effect. Clients who come in, the only the only change that we've made now is that uh, a person doesn't have to be quarantined for 14 days. Now they can be quarantined. There can be a seven day quarantine if certain things are met. So those certain things are that on the fifth day of their quarantine they can be tested. And if the test comes back negative, they can stay for a total of seven days. And on the eighth day, they can be moved out of quarantine. Yeah. So we've adopted that temporarily just so that we wouldn't have a small amount of residents on each side of the facility. So those who are in quarantine, we wanted to get them through the quarantine experience faster while following the CDC's protocols uh, for a seven-day quarantine period, which involves testing. So as long as they test negative, then they're good to go. Um, And so far, so good. That's what we like to hear. That's uh, given the circumstances. That's that's one of the better outcomes you could hope for. Yeah. So now it's all about, you know, continuing to – Loosen, and like we said before, <laughs> we're on pins and needles because those will take one one admission to the county hospital and we're done for, right? That's it. <laughs> that's that's, it. that's what it seems like in California. Right. The new <laughs> threshold is one bed. If one bed in the ER is taken up by somebody who we, not even COVID positive, but have to give a test to, we're yep. inundated and we need to go back to the red zone. Yep. We can't take it. <laughs> we're overwhelmed. Code red. So uh, we we want to loosen the COVID noose a little bit. So now we we have you know made some uh, less you know eased some of the restrictions, if you will, by um, having j- just the clients in the residential facility 
not those in the quarantine wing, just the clients in the residential facility, their, their mask mandates have been eased um, as long as certain caveats are met. And then we're looking to do that to a certain degree in the recovery residents. Staff are still under the mask uh, mandates, but hopefully all this will be subsiding Again, with the caveat that uh, for those of you who are not in California, you think we're joking when we say uh, one, you know, one one more. If if one person gets admitted, we're back to hot sauce red. Uh, we're not joking. That's what it seems like for us. Yep, absolutely. It's not, the, it's not the first time we've been reduced to the uh, to the orange tear, only to be shot right back up. Yeah, right, to, right. And and. And mind you, they don't just go up to red. I was going to say, not the next year up. They go all the way back to ground zero, baby. Exactly. Shut it down. Shut everything down. Close everything up. So, yo-yo going back and forth. Yep. Absolutely. So, we we shall see. But right now, the facilities, all of our facilities are in a good place. And the county seems to be headed in the right direction. So keep our fingers crossed that that continues. Yep. Sidebar for a second, and, and this should have been in the news item, but um, one of the things, Mr. Producer, that we're doing is we've applied. Yep. Breaking. We, breaking it. We did apply. You know, the state gives out what they call level of care designations for residential programs. And we had, we hold a 3.1 and a 3.5 level of care designation. And these designations are ASAM designations, American Society of Addiction Medicine designations for level of care. And we have applied to the state to get two more additional care levels, three, which is withdrawal management, and 3.3, which is high-intensity residential, which the county has been asking us to consider doing for the last two to three years, and we have resisted doing that because we always considered the 3.3 client to be the development disabled client, and we didn't think it was appropriate that that population be mixed with 3.1 and 3.5. So this county does not have a provider that provides 3.3 services. And so the county has been contracting with an out-of-county provider. Well, now they have data to see who is really being served under 3.3. And they came to us and told us that it appears from the data that the clients that were being served under 3.3 are the same clients that you guys, meaning us, have been serving in your wellness program. <laughs> masking, masking them as uh, 3.1s, 3.5s? Exactly. Not, not being done purposely, but um, that's just what the data shows. So after hearing that, because anyone, Mr. Producer, you worked in the adolescent world, I have, and anyone who has knows that when when they talk about developmentally developmentally disabled, 
um, I'm talking about the type of clients that would go in the regional center. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the regional center, Mr. Producer. Um, San Carlos. There, there's one in this county. They're in all, they're all over the place. But yeah. they're really developmentally disabled. You know what I mean? So they need special care. Um, and so that's what we thought the type of client they were referring to. But it turns out that's not who's being designated. Um, and we've been treating people that could fall under that designation. And so we decided with that information that we, okay, we'll go ahead and get that um, level of care designation and the 3.2 while we're at it for withdrawal management. And um, then we'll have the full continuum of care. Yep, yep. And that's something that, um, A, I think it's important to say, as a not-for-profit organization and as an organization that really, as most not-for-profits are, the goal is to give back to the community and the neighborhood that you serve. Um, it's not just about um, you know, stretching yourself too thin or expanding for the sake of expanding. <clears throat> Rather, if you have belief in the backbone of your company and in the integrity of your company and the employees that you have on staff, that you would be capable of expanding to serve more of the population that you're not currently serving and do a good job doing it, then in some way that is something that you should be shooting for or ethically responsible uh, for doing because the purpose or, or the goal is to, as an organization, help as many people in need in your backyard as you possibly can. And if there are people in our backyard who have the need who don't have anywhere to go, and, and this is the big ant for me, this is the caveat, and you as a program believe you are prop- properly staffed and have the proper infrastructure to be able to service that client well, then that's something that you should be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see what the state says, if they'll... Uh... The state Give says it. absolutely not. Stay in your lane, OCG. <laughs> if they'll if they'll they'll give us the I dot and T cross runaround. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We'll see. Yep. What so yeah, f- fingers crossed. But I I've always been uh, and maybe this is maybe this is what they call in sports radio being a homer when you uh, when you are just going to see the positive light in your own team and ignore the negative light because you, you just root for the home team blindly. Maybe this is a little bit of that coming through. Uh, but as I, I had a conversation with you and just for our listeners, so you, the listeners know, you know, I had a conversation with the host here, uh, our fearless host and said, you know, I am of the belief that our program can do any of it and all of it. I believe in our structure. I believe in the people that we have here within the agency working for us, uh, that, that, we, that there's nothing we can't conquer. And so, again, that might be a little homer and a little overzealous, but that, be that as it may, that's my true belief. Um, and so uh, my hope is that we are able to do that because we have shown um, an incredible ability over the years to, to shift, adapt, hit the curveball even when we're used to hitting fastballs, um, 
and so I, I don't see this as any different. What was my response to you? Did I say something like uh, you it, you haven't been poisoned yet by the brutal the brutal <laughs> right. impact that's, of defeat and rejection? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's right. You still have that the the honeymoon <laughs> effect working the the rookie glow. <laughs> No, but all that is uh, true. I mean, the worst that can happen is either – well, in in truth, if you meet all of the the application criteria, the state can't say no. They can only give it to you and then say, you better make sure you're meeting all those requirements. That's all they can say to you. Um, But, you know, we've never gone down any road where – before we made that decision, we also did not discuss our out plan. Like if, if it didn't work how we thought it would work, what's our out? You know what I mean? Um, so we had all the bases covered. There's one other thing I want to touch on, though, and that is since you're the only, you know, it's you and I talking, uh, you know, you got a, you know, a fairly young, 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 young one at home. And, uh, you know, you have to, you know, keep your you know your head and and eyes and whatnot aware as to you know what you're doing so to make sure that you're not uh, bringing anything home to the young one and right. and and the missus of course uh, lest you find yourself sleeping on the veranda um, that's right or, or the terrace and you not get much sleep with all the planes flying direct, taken off literally directly over my over my said veranda. Yep. So um, yeah, so there's there's always an extra motivation to make sure that you're doing what you can to make sure that uh, you don't bring anything home. And that from home, and not necessarily in your house, but from out and about, since we're out and about, that we don't bring anything in uh, to the facilities. Right. So I, right. I think I think sometimes um, the, the clients sometimes don't think about that because rightfully so. When I say to them, you know, it's our job to make sure we don't bring anything to you because you're not going out to bring anything in. Um, so it's really on us to make sure. Uh, but at the same time, when the facility is open like it has been and people are coming and going like they have been, it becomes all of our responsibilities to make sure that we keep the environment safe. Yep. So. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Um, I don't think I have anything else to report on the COVID front other than uh, it's time for us to be free. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. Absolutely. I mean, we know, uh, you know, just to put it out there, we know that everybody has been impacted and touched by this, not just us. Um, and, And so, we thought, you know, doing this show, this topic was, was incredibly important just to let you know as an organization, especially as a residential uh, or congregate living organization, um, how, how we've been impacted and how we've been dealing with it and, and obviously uh, why it's been a while since we've had our last show dealing with all of this. 
Um, but, you know, looks, again, fingers crossed, looks like we all, not just OCG, but we all are, uh, as a nation, headed in the right direction, and then we'll, we will uh, keep our fingers crossed that that continues. Um, and we'll also, you know, uh, keep you all up to date on, on the closing of our of our local detox center. Yep. Sounds like a plan. All right. Great. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in or for those who will listen uh, via the archives. Like always, you know, we do the show for you all, and we appreciate all the support that we continuously get. Uh, we hope that everybody um, remains safe. Uh, has a productive handful of weeks or the next month. And we look forward to talking to you guys again soon, hopefully this time without as long of an interval in between. Uh, And we wish everybody uh, some, some fun and safe weekends ahead. So thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you all soon.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.